friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. And today is an interview with a friend of mine called Sam Wood. Now, Sam is one of those people that just seems to articulate something of the nature, the character and the kingdom of God that just inspires me every time I, I speak to him. Uh, Sam works for the Message Trust in Manchester, and he'll say a little bit more about that. Uh, but Sam is somebody who is passionate about the inner city, is passionate about mission, uh, reaching those that don't know uh, Jesus. Uh, so I hope you find this interview uh, with him really inspiring and helpful, particularly the way that he talks about the kingdom of God. Uh, my name is Chris Rogers. I am your host today here on Making Disciples, and this is a weekly podcast that goes out every Monday morning. So I would love to say, please subscribe. Uh, we'd love to make sure that you get every episode each week. Uh, and each episode is something around discipleship and how we become more uh, like Jesus. So please share the podcast, let people know about it. Uh, that will be absolutely fantastic. But here we go, today's interview with Sam Ward on what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like and how do we live it out? Sam Wood, welcome to Making Disciples. You are somebody that I've actually wanted on Making Disciples for such a long time, but I've wanted to wait for the right moment and the right material, the right thing to talk about. Uh, so, mate, welcome to Making Disciples. Hey, it's a great time, great honour to be with you. So you, you chose a pandemic to uh, be the time, did you? <laughs> I needed a time when I could definitely pin you down. Okay. And that you would want to even talk to me because you were that bored. <laughs> You're so crazy, mate. I'd, I'm honoured to speak to you. I always love it when you call, always get some, spend some time together in a greasy spoon somewhere in London. It's usually, isn't it? Well, let me ask you, I want to dive straight in because yeah. out of all the people that I know that inspire me the most, and this is genuine, okay, they inspire me the most around their understanding of the, the, the kingdom of God uh, is you. I've heard you talk, I've heard theologians talk about it and I've heard you as an urban theologian talk about it and I'm like, yeah, he, he gets it. So Sam, talk to me about your understanding of the, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Let's put it there. What is the kingdom of God? No one, by the way, has ever called me a theologian or anything like that. So I don't claim to be. I suppose when we talk about the kingdom, though, there are three kind of views. One would be the place of the kingdom, like the United Kingdom. Could I take you to the kingdom of God and show you where it is? So people, some people call, uh, you know, talk about place. Some people would talk about the people of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a people group. Some people would say the church is the kingdom. But I think when I talk about the kingdom of God, I like to more talk about the purpose of God, the rule and reign of God. What is God trying to achieve? And actually, more importantly, how does God want to achieve it? How is he going to go about instilling and bringing about his kingdom? And uh, it's that that really has caught my imagination and, and it's, has led me often to worship, really. Yeah. So if we understand this, this sense of kingdom being the rule and reign of a king or a queen over a, a dominion, mm. then most kingdoms uh, exist really for the benefit of the king. Uh, and they exist there, don't they, as a, well, I'm king and I rule over this group of people and I tax them and I, I take from them so that I can hold my 
power. Uh, but the kingdom of God is radically different to this. And this is, this is what I want us to just really explore is uh, how is the kingdom of God different to any earthly kingdom? Yeah, well, because firstly, you've got to look at who our king is. Uh, when you begin to look at the values of the king, then you'll begin to see the kind of kingdom that he's going to be bringing in. Interestingly, though, I want to set this one step further back and first of all, look at uh, where the king sits. And he sits within a trinity. And so you get this trinity which exists, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how do they exist? In beautiful relationship and in perfect peace. In this word shalom that you sometimes hear uh, banded about. Perfect peace, order, everything held together as it should be. The kingdom of God sits firstly within that Trinitarian space. And so then when we talk about the kind of kingdom that God and the king is going to be bringing in, you know that it's going to be something of peace and it's going to be something of perfect relationship. Interestingly, I would say that when we talk about bringing justice, when this emphasis on people like me that want to live for justice, I am now framing justice as perfect kingdom bringing the restoration of peace and the restoration of relationships. This is justice in its purest form. Yeah. So the language that I, I would use, and I know you definitely use, is that we believe in a king of an upside down kingdom. Yeah. And, and this is where it gets so, so exciting. Uh, and I, um, I tried to explain it to our church last year in a teaching series called the Upside Down Kingdom. And we use Stranger Things, the TV show, to do it. Uh, to look at the, you know, in the upside down in Stranger Things, it's this black and white world. Yeah. that people get released from back into the colourful world. And so we kind of use that kind of Stranger Things kind of metaphor. But the kingdom of God is upside down. It is radically different from anything else we can comprehend. In fact, if you are in uh, the order of this world, we can't often get our head around it. It makes no sense. Hmm. Um, so just explore with me, what is the upside down kingdom? Would you mind if I read you a kind of list of things that are upside down. I would love it if you would, yeah. Here we go. You have a king who is made a pauper, the most high who is brought low, the king of grace who is born into disgrace, the king of peace who is born into chaos, the majesty of heaven born into misery, a manger for a bed, the creator of all things with no place to rest his head, our refugee, a refuge who becomes a refugee, the great I am, who became a no one, the defender who becomes defenseless, the immortal who becomes mortal, the eternal who becomes temporal, the light of the world who is overshadowed, the deliverer who is delivered to death, the everlasting who has an end, the ancient of days who has only 33 birthdays, the sustainer of all things left empty, the abundant one who is abandoned, the glorious made inglorious, the strong made weak, the holy made unholy, the judge of all judged by all, the just who faced injustice, the truth called a liar, the one who places the lonely in the family forsaken by his father, the welcomer despised and rejected, the king of kings crowned with thorns, the king who reigns on the cross, not a throne, the victorious made notorious, the one who sanctified is crucified, the author of life is left lifeless, the rescuer is not rescued, the uh, dying for all, but dying alone. Robed in righteousness, yet hangs naked. 
the Lord of all, his servant of all, the good shepherd dying for his sheep, the most glorified in shameful death, most beautiful in his ugliest moments, washes the sins of the world and the feet of his betrayer. He exchanges righteousness for unrighteousness. He calls the margins the middle, the friend of sinners, the defender of the widow, God of the lost, leaves the 99 for one, death that brings life, the man of sorrow who brings joy. The, his grief brings peace. His oppression brings freedom. Uh, and so on and so forth. It's all upside down. We have this wonderful king who is all-powerful, yet makes himself utterly powerless to bring in his glorious reign. It's epic, mate. It's absolutely huge, isn't it? And I feel like there's probably another page there that you could have still gone on to. There was, but I kind of ran out of breath. <laughs> the, and this is, I think, where we as the church have got a little bit lost. We have settled for a kingdom of God that looks very similar to uh, English middle class values. <laughs> and we took it, we've labelled it as the kingdom, and then we say, come to Jesus and you'll become middle class. Yeah. You'll have a car, you'll have a house, a beautiful wife and children, you'll have Netflix. and I, I, We've somehow confused this radical upside-downness of God and put a, a middle-class, often white understanding, and, and then like, that, that's the kingdom. No, it's not. In fact, it's the total opposite. I think this is where, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, particularly with around Eden. I'll ask you about Eden in a minute, but... Many young people capture the vision of the kingdom of God and they go, drop the mic, life change. And they say, I, I don't want to do what others have done. And I'm going to move away from the middle class and I'm going to move to the edge. I'm going to move to the place where Jesus would locate himself and I'm going to do life there. And people look at them and go, like their parents, no, no, no. You go to university, you get a job, you, you become stable, you have security, you put in a pension fund. And that's what you should be doing. And, and you get these young Christians going, nah, I'm going to go and work for some really naff church over there and help them reach people for Jesus. And I'm like, well, it just doesn't add up with our middle class values. And I think often you see teenagers clashing with their parents over this stuff. They come back from Soul Survivor or some festival. And uh, yeah, they don't want to do what the parents have always done. Yeah, I mean, it's so radically countercultural, and we really shouldn't be surprised, even when we think about the, the kingdom and how it was birthed into its time. You've got this weird kind of existence of the, of the Roman culture and the Jewish culture, and the Jews hoping that this new kingdom would look very much like them. The Romans thinking, you know, it's got to comply with us, but yet Jesus says he comes to bring a kingdom, and it's not of this world. And so you get a bunch of young people now hearing about the kingdom of God, even hearing the teachings of Jesus, being, feeling this call to do something with it and where, where they should go and how they should live. And actually, it is radically countercultural. It's, it's totally not of this world. And therefore, its value system and everything that it holds dear is not going to be something that's particularly of great appetite to the world around us. And often, sometimes, our parents, as we're saying. And what we often try to do is we take our middle classness and somehow try to patch on some of the Jesus stuff. Uh, but actually those patches don't fit 
and they won't stick to our lives. And then we wonder why we end up drifting away from, you know, people talk about, you know, lost my first love. I've lost my desire for, they start saying, oh, church didn't quite do it for me today. And it's because the patches have actually pulled away and they're drifting more towards the kingdom of this world than the kingdom of his world. So how do we sound? So this is incredible. Like the upside downness of God's kingdom. How do we live it? What does that look like? We have to ensure that we're following. And that's what I love about the king. He calls us to follow. I mean, there's no ruler on the planet that, that would allow me intimate uh, an intimate relationship with them, allow me to kind of track their life and to, to, to sit in that place of teaching. And that's what, what's so wonderful about Jesus is, firstly, he calls us to follow. And then he's given us this amazing set of teachings that if you go through the, read, the, 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 the words that Jesus teach and begin to live those out, that you will, oh, you, already you're not going to fit in this world. You're going to begin to, to uh, epitomize the kingdom far more readily i've been sat in luke's gospel i've been trying to take some of my friends and colleagues through luke's gospel looking at these values of the upside down kingdom and uh, and when you get to uh, luke's version of the sermon on the mount that some people re- refer to as the sermon on the plain and you begin to unpack even those you know the blesseds that you would find in the sermon on the mount they're even more radical in luke you know blessed are the poor blessed are the hungry blessed are those who weep, blessed are those who, who are hated. I mean, you know, if you begin to sit in this teaching and then begin to apply it, particularly when we begin to outwork some of those kind of, the, the, the royal law of the kingdom, which is to love. When Jesus tells us to love, he doesn't tell us to love the nicest or the fittest or, the, or those who might help us to be upwardly mobile in the world. We're to love our enemies. We're to love our neighbors. We're to to love the broken and, and, the, and, the, and the wounded of this world, when we really sit in the teaching, when we begin to apply the words that Jesus says, it is beginning, it's going to actually turn your life upside down. You're not going to necessarily fit in the world. I'm part of a movement, um, you know, as you know, called Eden, and we often are described as an incarnational organization. We, we live this incarnation. Um, and I've always if I'm honest, kind of struggled with that because Christ is called the incarnate. He's the one that took on flesh and became like us. And we always say, you know, we therefore want to become like our neighbors, get rid of our middle classness in order to be more like our neighbors, to reach them with this good news of the kingdom. But actually, I think there's so many issues that come in with that. You know, can I really become like my neighbors? Can I really let go of all this stuff? Can I can I stop going on holiday every year so I can reach those who have no holidays? Well, that's a good challenge. Can I get rid of my car and all, all uh, so that I can reach the neighbor who has no car? Again, a good challenge. Do I begin to smoke cigarettes so that I can reach the neighbor who smokes cigarettes or takes you know, drugs or whatever? Where's the boundary? Well, I think it's because we've rested on our wrong understanding of, of, of who we're trying to imitate. We're not called to imitate our neighbors and be like them. Actually, we're called to imitate the incarnation. I need to look more like Christ and his, uh, in, in his kingdom, living by his rules. And the more I lo- look and act like Christ, the better I will serve my neighbors. And so it's not actually about giving up middle class and choosing to be poor, although that might be something that overflows when we follow Christ in his downward mobility. But actually, I want to look more 
like Jesus. That's the pressing thing for me. Yeah. And I think you've mentioned Eden, which for me, um, here are a group of people who have relocated their lives to the purposes of reaching people with Jesus. Yeah. And living this upside down kingdom that doesn't say, um, to the king of the world will say, you get yourself this job so that you get to a safe place where you can live in safety. Uh, you might build a home that has nice big gates so you're nice and secure. Uh, whereas actually the kingdom of God says, um, move away from this idea of safety and move into this place of service, uh, which means you're going to need to relocate yourself in a place that often isn't safe, but it is the best place. And I love the story of the 10 lepers. You know, Jesus we're told he's walking between Galilee and Samaria in this borderland. And he locates himself uh, in this concentration camp for the unclean. It's a leper colony. And in this place, he serves and loves and speaks to these lepers. And in this place, the kingdom of God is seen. Um, and he has to relocate his life to that front line, doesn't he? Um, and that's what Eden's about. And it's, just tell us a couple of stories about what you guys have seen in urban mission, relocating to, to reach people with the good news. Well, you know, give us a few stories of, of where that's worked well. We know it always, there's always bad news stories. There's always stories where it didn't work. Get, inspire I mean, us. I mean, I, I think I did get a lot wrong in the early days where I think I, I thought I had the rescue plan. I thought I was like the hero that was relocating and I think we have to make sure we do away with that mindset, which is why I like the idea of following Christ, because it's always going to be the way of humility. It's always going to be the way of less. And so when Jesus talks about things like the first becoming uh, the last and, the, and dying is gain, and that rulers should look like servants, I suppose it's over time and being exposed to my community and their lives and listening to their stories that I've begun to begin to see the kingdom taking root. One of the families that I work with, the mum has always been explicitly clear that she doesn't believe in Jesus and uh, she, she won't be a follower. But yet she's kind of fascinated with the decisions we've made as a, as a family. She's journeyed with me from being a single male to being married and then adopting children and seen that whole journey. And uh, she came out for Christmas dinner uh, with, her, with her partner and she was in the kitchen peeling the carrots or whatever. And my little boy comes in and he says, um, I'm not sure Jesus is real. I don't think Christmas is real. Um, you know, age five or whatever he was at the time. And uh, Debbie just stops, puts down her carrots and then says, how can you say that? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, how can you say that? Of course he's real. And then she began to explain some things that I'm like, so you've never wanted to come to church. How? I didn't even know you thought these things. And maybe you're just humoring me because you felt like I'd appreciate it. But she begins to talk about the things of the kingdom. And I'm like, I'll just make a note of this and this. You know, it's incredible. And uh, there's so many things like that where I've begun to see what's amazing is when we adopt the upside down kingdom and our lives are turned upside down, we take those whose lives are chaotic and discombobulated was a word I heard earlier. And we begin to help them to get restored. We've helped bring shalom and peace into those scenarios. And I think about some people that I've, I've worked with. I remember meeting a guy, a father had died, an alcoholic, um, really looked like his life was going down a similar path. He came 
to my house to be amongst a group of mates that were all um, we actually had like a gig in a house like I had some friends who were musicians and they were doing like a house gig to raise money mm. and this guy came in he, he drank all the beer in my fridge um, and um, and then when everyone went home he wanted to get deep <laughs> and chat about things and I remember as we talked he was so drunk he fell off the sofa and bashed his face into like a bowl of crisps um, but I, but interestingly, even amongst that chaos, I began to see beautiful things beginning to happen and his way of thinking was changing. And then he comes to church uh, the next day. I mean, probably still half hung over. But then his life begins to get restored. He returns to college um, and, and, and suddenly is interested in animals and, uh, and, and nature and all this stuff. And he ends up marrying a, a good Christian girl. And, and like the wedding was the most fascinating thing. Uh, because on one side, you had his very small and what looked like a very poor side of the family. And then hers, which was like this Christian family, full with nice hats. And, and I was like, my goodness, this is bonkers. But there's something of the kingdom restoration here. Yeah. You know, we're not called into chaos to be chaos. We're called into the chaos to bring order and restoration. But often that takes us to come down and empty ourselves. That's what's so wonderful about Jesus why my favorite passage of scripture is probably Philippians 2, that emptying himself, the kenosis of Jesus as he empties himself for the yeah. sake of the broken. Just wonderful. Sam, I love how you say you're not a theologian, but actually you really are a theologian because I would describe you as an urban theologian. You're somebody who gets this stuff, the big stuff of God, but you live it and you show it to others and you, you make theology livable. Thanks, mate. And, and actually, you are a theologian. You're a living theologian. That's exactly what you are. And I think the way that you talk about the kingdom of God is just beautiful. Thanks, um, mate. I don't want to be someone who um, just has, like, head knowledge, though. It has to be lived out. I mean, like everything with Jesus, what's ace about Jesus is everything he has, he gives away. And I think the people of God should know the value that they've been given and be super generous. It's poured out. My concern about ever being described as a theologian is that it, it, it kind of values what I have in my head, but it has to be for the benefit of my community. And so when I see this week that there's a lady around the corner who, who is a prostitute being attacked by two men, my, my theology says I must stand in the way. I must be in the middle. Where would Christ be? Christ dwells in our pain and our suffering. He stands in the way. And therefore, if I follow him, I follow him between two men attacking a prostitute for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. But that, that is just what I would describe as good Franciscan theology in the sense that St. Francis lived his theology on the street. Uh, there are many who would retreat to the wilderness and do theology. St. Francis retreated to the streets. It was called the Holy Jester. I think you are an urban theologian in that for you, it is about learning about the nature and the character of God, but then doing something with it. Um, Sam, we're going to have to go. I, I oh, just okay. find this amazing. But uh, if people want to know more, learn more, uh, mention Proximity Network, that'd be great. Okay, brilliant. So you can get me on my Twitter handle, which is at samward01. I'm on there. If you want to email me, you can email me at samw at message.org.uk. Or you can find me at the Proximity Network, which is this new thing I've kicked off. 
I'm trying to find a way in which all those who are working to serve the poorest in our nation can, can gather together to do it well uh, as one, united as the people of God, as those serving the kingdom. And so I'm beginning to map out all the great stuff that the church is doing. I actually think there's so much to celebrate and then so much we could do together. So you could get me at, um, the, again, the Twitter hand, handle at proximity underscore network and uh, you can uh, certainly connect with me. I'd love to hear about anybody doing anything good in Jesus' name. Uh, amazing. Sam, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you, appreciate your time, and particularly appreciate the way that you see the kingdom of God. So thank you for sharing. I love you, Chris. <laughs> Bless you. Grace and peace. See you, mate.